Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. Today in this episode, we're actually shifting a little bit, talking about the defense mechanisms, but also how those defense mechanisms kind of connect to the anti-racism work that we are doing or we can do or we should do and the things that we should watch out for. This episode is amazing because I have an absolutely incredible person on here. I have an absolutely incredible person on here. I have Elizabeth on here to help really bring in a lot of the information on how do you actually work from a defense mechanism, working your way through not only that to be able to help other people, but actually going inside and being like, okay, what's going on here so that I can actually do the outer work to actually make a difference in our communities. And so she's done a whole lot of work. She has a lot of Enneagram information and knowledge. She's a Patreon supporter of Do It For The Grand Podcast. I cannot tell you how amazing Elizabeth is and the knowledge that she has on this topic. I'm super excited to have her on here. Okay, so let's go intro music. totally okay because that was bomb that was really good so <laughs> now that the audience knows uh defense mechanisms and we're coming off of i'm coming off a series in the do it for the enneagram podcast talking about anti-racism work and systemic right. racism so let's bridge a small gap a small bridge here mm-hmm. to actually talk about how anti-racism looks per type like things we should watch out for and things that we bring that are beautiful natural to the space what number do you want to start with? Do you want to start with, um, do you want to kind of pair like a strength and an area to be mindful of each number? Let's do it. Okay. Can we start with twos? Let's do it. Okay. So um, twos, something you can be mindful of. <laughs> I, and I talked about this a little bit, doing or saying something that is not yours to do or say. So, you know, an area to be mindful of, you're doing this anti-racism work. You want to, you feel other people's feelings. You feel for, at least for me, I have been feeling a lot of my friends' feelings, you know, um, people, any, anyone from the black indigenous people of color cultures, you know, I feel their feelings and I want to fucking do something about it. Yeah. Right. Just <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that out if you need to, but um, I want to do something about it. Um, and so, but it's not always mine to do. It's not, I don't, that's where I can get into kind of this white savior complex of like, I'm going to come in, my pride goes up. I'm going to come in and I'm going to save. I'm going to do, I'm going to do everything for everyone. And it comes from, you know, feeling people's feelings, but you know what, Elizabeth, it's not all yours to do. It's not all yours to say. However, so that's where you need to bring up the thinking center and really say like, who is asking me to do these things and who wants my help? And maybe you can conserve some of your energy. And just do the things that are yours to do. But 
like you said, you know, you're feeling people's feelings. Um, that can be an area of strength. You're naturally others focused. So one thing that you can do is really amplifying and supporting minority voices. So instead of talking for someone, make space. You can tell that they want to say something. Instead of you saying it for them, make space. Be like, hey, hey, let's make some space. Let's make it, let's let's show, we want to support. And that's something I've been trying to ask um, more frequently is, how can I support you? As opposed to, let me assume that you want me to do this. Because maybe there's a different way that I can meet a need by just asking, what does support look like? How can I support you? As opposed to, I'm going to lead a new initiative that doesn't need to be led. I don't know if you've ever listened to um, Nice White Parents, the podcast Mm-mm. about, um, oh man, oh man, that's a, that's a whole that's a whole deal. Oh man, but so um, it's I mean it's a really really challenging, interesting podcast about the New York City school system, mm. and there are they're trying to it's about integration and integrating schools. This is a little tangent, sorry. Um, and there are these parents, these white parents that come in with these good intentions to, you know, help with help with school. And they end up like taking over the PTA. Whereas the 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 moms and the dads who've been in the PTA, you know, they've been there for years <laughs> and they know the school. They know, you know, they need some support for sure, right. but they don't need someone to come in and take over. Like they're yeah. the ones who have the experience. And so these nice white parents made these assumptions that they just could do it better, even though they hadn't been there and they didn't listen. Um, and so it's just it's kind of uncomfortable to listen to hearing hearing this this documentary style podcast about what happened in the school and the cycle. Um, and so really asking, how can I support minority voices and choose your others focused and use use that to provide the support that you're so good at providing other people. Just think through it first before you do. Yes, that was beautiful. That was was great. All right, so moving on to threes. Yeah, so threes. So the concept of individualism is that you are responsible for your life, your work, your success, which is polar opposite to the idea of collectivism is that we're all in this together. And there are cultures that are more collectivist and there are cultures that are more individualistic. And you can see both in people, in societies. Individualism, I call it bootstrap theory. Mm. Um, that you, if you don't have something in your life that you want, that's because you didn't work hard enough to get it. So pull up your damn bootstrap and go do it. And so this can be problematic, especially when looking at systemic racism, because if you can try as hard as you want. And if the system is oppressing you, if the system is not giving you the resources or the support that you need, you could be working twice as hard as someone not in that system, not being affected by that system. And it doesn't matter how hard you're working. Yep. Um, what's, what's, what's harmful is when threes overemphasize the bootstrap, the individualism ideology saying, well, you just aren't working hard enough. You just don't want it enough. And that's why you're in the situation you're in. And it, it's, it lacks empathy and it lacks compassion and it lacks curious questions about what are the environmental factors? What are the external factors? And so that's something to be mindful of is um, where do you notice overemphasizing individualism in your own life, but also in your community? 
Um, and where can you then? So what what threes are good at is threes are so goal oriented. So threes can break down overwhelming concepts into actionable goals. So once threes are awakened to, wow, there's systemic racism. This is a whole system. Okay, what do we need to do? Well, threes can take an overwhelming concepts like taking down a system and they can break it into little chunks and say, okay, well, we can't take down the whole system today, but here are some actionable steps that we can do that actually will make an impact, a positive impact on our community. And so that is so powerful because especially like doing your press numbers, four, fives, and nines for sure, they might get overwhelmed at seeing all the things that need to be done and they don't know where to start. And so threes can come in and say, okay, we're going to start here. Threes are good at prioritizing and creating actionable, measurable goals. So I want to give a shout out right now to Sharon, a really good and really like one of my Enneagram mentors. Uh, She runs Nine Paths out of Nashville and she's a three. And I'm telling you, she's doing a lot when it comes to um, using like healing, not only helping heal people, but also break down like the psychological components of like creating safety for people and the Enneagram components to making sure that we break down the, the problems we have with systemic racism in corporations and companies. So she's doing a wonderful job. I'm learning a lot from her. The beauty of working with the three is because you said exactly what they're able to do. They understand this big concept and they are able to break it down into actionable goals to achieve a bigger goal. I'm telling you, absolutely love working with threes, with threes when they are able to get to this level, when they're able to do that work. I'm telling you, it's like, okay, that's what we're going to do next. All right. All right. And I'm telling you, they move. If you see a three like in action in action, I'm talking about healthy side ups. Oh, it, it done. is amazing to watch. It's like, wow, this is awesome. Like you just turned it on. Like you're just like, let's do it. I was like, Woo. Um, <laughs> so I absolutely love that. I just had to plug that uh, because Sharon has been like a major component of like doing the anti-racism work from the level of being able to break it down. All right. So fours, let's talk about mm-hmm. the, what they need to be mindful of. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about you know, being paralyzed by their feelings, which prevents action, going down in the, the basement of basements. <laughs> so, you know, we, we kind of already uh, riffed on that, you know, being mindful of, you know, you want to feel your feelings for sure, but don't be paralyzed by them, doing the work to get into action. Um, so what fours are really great at, though, is listening, sitting and lamenting with others suffering. And something that I've been seeing a lot this year um, especially from different um, Black influencers on social media is the concept of lament and how, like, yes, there's a lot to be done, but also we want you to lament with us. Um, there has been horrible tragedies um, happening. And like, just the understanding and the companionship and the honor that comes with being able to sit with somebody lamenting and and sharing in their pain that says i see you and i see your pain and it's real it's not imagined and in our current climate it seems like there are a lot of people who are denying that horrible things are even happening and so lamenting gives validity to the suffering and fours have this deep capacity to sit with others in that lamenting and to acknowledge it and so fours use that Listen, the, when you say lament, that 
touches my soul. And the reason is because we don't recognize the importance of it. I didn't know the importance of it until this summer. Mm-hmm. I was invited to like a healing community from an Enneagram teacher, another one of like my really good mentors in the space, Dr. Eggington. She called it like a, it's like a healing session. And I was like, a healing session? What's that? Like naturally my, my, my mind was like, healing? Like, like I get like we need healing, but I'm like, wow, well, you know. But the idea behind it was to give, it was a mix of people from around the world. It gave people, uh, BIPOC people, a voice to be able to speak to how they were feeling, things that was going on, things that had been happening. And I found it amazingly healing and helpful. I was like, this is crazy how important it actually is. And so for force to be able to do that, like you said, it is so needed. Oh my goodness. It is so needed to be able to like tell your story or express what's really going on and to have people actually listen and value what you say. And like you just said, see you, really see you for who you are, not for who the TV says you are or or even who your personality shows up as, but who you really are. That's a deep level of being seen and being loved. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. It's, it's, it's huge. Mm -hmm. So like you saying that, that is a huge thing that like, uh, fours naturally bring into the space. Very, very important. I will, I will add this little tag on. So fours, um, and kind of autopilot space, they're going to be naturally more inward focused, but when they're doing their work, they can be outwardly focused. And so when you're sitting and lamenting with others, you're not in your own basement. (laughs) You have this capacity to sit with somebody else when they're in their basement. And it's, that's when it's selfless feeling. Um, it's not self-indulgent feeling. It's selfless feeling. And it can be really beautiful. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Let's talk about fives. Uh, what is something fives need to be mindful of in doing anti-racism work? Yeah. So fives can over-intellectualize people's pain and problems. So instead of wanting to feel and lament, um, they'll come at it with their head. They're in the head triad. And they will, well, actually, here's, here's why we're here. And here's actually what needs to be done. And, and I'm going to rationalize or I'm going to intellectualize the problem away. And, you know, I've sat in conversations with, with fives where we can't even get to, let's talk about what we can do because we're like, okay, we'll define racism. Okay. Well, we'll define okay, we'll define this. Okay, well, well, actually, it sounds like you're actually talking about this and it like gets into this philosophical discussion. And it can be very interesting for sure. Yeah. But we're there to, to get an action done. We're there to figure out, okay, what's the way forward? And we're sitting there arguing over definitions and nothing gets done. That can be just something to be mindful of, fives. Um, but fives are good at research. Fives are good at being objective. So use that. Use research all the sides, not just the side that you identify with. But, you know, I've been having conversations with people how, you know, they're really stressed with just media and the news. And they're like, every side is biased. Well, yeah, we're human. So anybody who writes a piece... (laughs) is going to be through a lens, like, especially knowing the Enneagram. Yeah, absolutely. Every piece is going to come through a lens. Every news article is coming through a lens. But so what, what do we do? We look at all the, we try to get as many lenses as possible and then see what are the common themes that are coming through here. 
Um, and, and really trying to, fives are good at being objective. They can be that kind of neutral Switzerland. So instead of using that Switzerland neutrality um, to, to remove yourself from the conversation, engage with the conversation and say, okay, well, it looks like, especially in our times of polarization where, you know, we've got extreme liberal, extreme conservative, right? Okay, yeah. well, here is something valid that this liberal is saying. Here is also something valid this conservative is saying, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we bring together through the research, here are the themes, here's the facts. Okay, now let's move, let's move forward. That's where fives are going to be excellent. Absolutely excellent. I think you hit that nail on the head perfectly. So let's move on to the six. What are some things that sixes need to be mindful of mm -hmm. in doing anti-racism work? Yeah, um, you talked a lot about how sixes can be paralyzed by their fear and their anxiety, um, and that prevents action, similar to how fours can be paralyzed by their feelings. I think sixes doing some of that um, heart work, <laughs> like you said, um, instead of just thinking about your feelings, actually connecting with why am I afraid um, to, to engage, and, um, and the work of sixes learning to trust themselves and engaging in in work, even if it's not the A plus, you know, five star work that you would hope it would be, you know, even just a little bit is is a good step. Sixes, you know, are really good at asking questions. They also are one of the numbers that sees the common good and they care about everyone, the common good. And they're probably one of the more collectivist numbers, I would, I would hypothesize. So they want the whole group to succeed. They want the whole group to heal. So sixes can ask the hard questions on behalf of the collective good. Um, is this good for everyone? Sixes, since they can see the holes, they can, they're really good at risk management. You present them with a theory and they're going to see where the theory doesn't hold up. You know, you can present them with a plan and they're going to see what might go wrong. So use that for good. Um, ask the hard questions, you know? Um, so we have... You know, problems with our healthcare system. Okay, bring in a six. Um, and they're going to say, okay, well, yes, this is going to work for this group of people, but what about for this group of people? And they're going to advocate to make sure that everyone is included. And I think that's a really great strength. Oh, yeah. One thing I would add that sixes might want to be mindful for, and, and especially uh, sexual sixes, I think they're naturally sixes are able, like you said, to see the holes in things that people say, or, you know, their brains can naturally think of like, like if everybody's going one way, they think of like, what about the other way, you know, and they present it. And so I think being the way that they, um, I would say, encase their words or their questions would really help in situations, because I would think in a lot of times in these situations, sometimes they, they say it literally what like they may feel, and it may be the opposite, um, because they're questioning, they're not like, going against but they're questioning and sometimes it comes across to groups maybe as they're going against them with this question mm -hmm. and that's not what they're ne necessarily doing they're just really trying to think about like did y'all think about this though because mm -hmm. i mean you need to include this. this is like a hole in our argument you know mm -hmm. and so yeah. just the way that they nest their words when or their questions that they have um for groups and people because everybody doesn't, you know, process things the same, you know? And so they may think of it as like, oh, they're coming against, they're against what you're saying. What are you saying? And it's not what they're doing at all. I would say that's just one thing to be mindful of as well with the six is how you encase and nest your words and your questions to people. Um, because there's always a way to say things to get people to buy in a little bit better or to be a little bit more open to what you're thinking and saying. And I think six is if you, 
if you can share your passion for the collective good. I'm asking these questions because I want everyone to belong and be included to succeed, right? Our goal is to get everyone on board. Great. So here's some questions I'm going to ask because it might be preventing the, the common good. And so if you if you share, hey, this is my goal. This is why I'm asking these questions. Um, like Milton said, I'm, I'm not going against you. I'm not trying to be uh, to drag you down here. I'm I'm really just trying to make sure that we are including everyone. I had to learn the hard way as a seven. I worked with a six very closely. And I, I thought he was doing the opposite, coming against me, but he wasn't. He was trying to make what I was saying or doing better. I was like, I just couldn't tell. I was like, stop popping my balloons, bro. Like I'm trying to fly in this mug, you know? <laughs> But I, but I learned a lot from him. Um, and, and I especially learned when he was six, I was like, oh, this makes sense. He's trying to make what I'm trying to do better, you know, yeah. and just really help me think about it. So, all right, let's move on to this um, this seven. What, what are some things they need to be mindful of in doing this work? So like we talked about with rationalization, um, reframing things into the positive, sevens can be overly optimistic or in denial about issues, right? So um, you're talking to a seven about the things that are happening you know, police brutality, murders, things like that. And, you know, a seven might be able to find, and at least this didn't happen, or at least this, right? And in in really hard times, it is helpful to have some silver linings. But like we talked about with fours, like there is a space for lamenting first before we at least, because the at least um, phrases, they they don't, validate they don't see the pain and so you know kind of like you were saying about you know healing happens you have to acknowledge the wound exists before you can put the stitches in you know before we can do the therapy we have to acknowledge what the problem is before we can heal it so being overly optimistic oh it's it's fine it was just a scratch um no you need stitches it's just a scratch like i'll be fine you know no you're gushing blood right now we need to stitch that thing up like. yeah exactly so that can be that can be something to be mindful of but seven man you are so good at envisioning and inspiring others with ideas for a better way just like you were talking about in that exercise in ginger's training was you know you come with like 15 ideas in like 10 seconds um, for how, you know, things could work, how, how, you know, let's brainstorm some ideas here. So, you know, accessing the high side of your one, your one, you normally go to one in stress, but using that one space for reforming, um, and creating better, like creating a society that could be better. And sevens are also idealistic. And so if you can acknowledge where we are now and acknowledge the hard pain but then cast a vision for where we're going. And that's inspiring and that's hopeful and that's joyful. People can catch that vision and be willing to do the hard work to get to a better place. Something I would add, because that was great. Something I would add, like to be mindful for, for um, sevens is not only the um, being overly optimistic, but like if, if sevens like check in with their heart first to be mindful mm. before they mm. speak. Because, and that means the seven has to slow down, especially in situations where things get, especially in anti-racism work. Oh my gosh. But in situations where things get very um, tense and they feel emotionally strong, it's like to check in with your heart. One thing I do is literally put my hand on my heart so mm-hmm. I can actually feel the emotions from this area in my body. I'm like, hold on, because I'm about to come from my head in a second. And this is not, I need to come from my heart as well. So 
when I do that, then I can actually communicate from my heart about the situation and think about it. Because you you said it perfectly. Like, because of the structure of the seven, like you said, like it's got these these areas, these stitches, but it's actually a real deep wound that I haven't like attended to. And sevens can overlook it, right? And when you don't take care of it, sevens more particularly, then there's like this thing called anger that actually exists and pain that exists under that. And I noticed that so much this year um, that like my, my natural uh, sevenness over years has buried like all my racial trauma in my psyche somewhere. Yeah. And this whole summer has been about going to find it, uncover it, and actually deal with it. And so it's been powerful um, to actually be able to sit with and be like, oh, dang, that did hurt when that happened back in this grade. When, you know, somebody, you know, clenched their purse closer to them just because I walked by. When they closed, they locked their doors because I was like jogging with my team, but I was the black person. So they was like, ooh, let me lock my door. All this type of stuff, little bitty stuff, even big stuff. You know, I had to really bring this stuff up and be like, oh, that hurt. So, yeah, I would say definitely being mindful of like, reaching and touching your heart and pausing first and really coming from your heart and not your head. Big deal. Um, and then how it connects to to you as well, because we're talking about this inner work, because I know the social seven can sometimes reach out for other people's pain and not to their own and notice what's happening yeah. inside themselves. So they have to be careful, too, because they're like, I do reach out. I'm doing, but yeah, it's like you, yeah. you you window shopping with other people's emotion and pain in order to avoid your own. So let's not do Love it that window shopping. <laughs> <laughs> for social sevens, the one that looks like that can look like twos. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then I think with something I've noticed with the anti-racism work, one of the strengths is that sevens can communicate. Uh, and you you talked about this some like hard topics in a way that is digestible to people because of the energy they bring. So it's like, I'm going to talk about this hard topic, but the energy I bring is going to keep you engaged. And it's also going to like not necessarily turn you away from it, you know? So that is like one of the, I would say definitely a strength that I've found in myself, let's be honest, and some other types of sevens where I'm like, oh, there's some energy, you know, there's some some buzz like, oh, okay, I'm listening. All right, I'm hearing you, you know? So I think that's just another strength that uh, sevens bring yeah. to the anti-racism work yeah. as well. Um, tangent, have you watched Ted Lasso? Mm-mm. It's on Apple TV. It's Jason Sudeikis. I can't <laughs> decide if he's a two or a seven. I'm leaning towards seven, but he's a coach okay. um, of a soccer team in England. Oh, not okay. a coach. He is so inspiring and um, has this way of telling people the things they need to hear that are hard, but in a way that is digestible. <laughs> so he's either a two or a seven. I can't decide. Okay. But um, but it's on Apple TV. Only ten episodes. Just finished binging it. Um, so much, so much great writing for sure. But oh, wow. really, really great um, series. Anyway, but when you were talking about how sevens can provide, you know, you can teach hard things, but make it digestible so that people can catch it, understand it, and move forward. Um, absolutely. And it just made me think of that show. Okay, I'm, I'm going to check that show out for sure. Does your workplace stink because the culture sucks? 
Are you tired of tolerating people and wish you could all work together cohesively? Does going to work give you instant anxiety? If you say yes to any one of these, you should probably quit your job. But since you aren't going to quit your job, you should call Kaizen Careers. At Kaizen Careers, we are all about improving personal and workplace performance. We use a unique tool called the Enneagram. The Enneagram helps individuals and organizations become more self-aware. That self-awareness lends into helping organizations with communication, leadership, and conflict management, ultimately turning self-awareness into self-mastery and creating healthy workplace performance so you can improve your services and bottom line. You can reach Kaizen Careers at kaizencareers.com or 901-334-1644. All right. So what about, yeah, what about eights? What are some things that they need to work on or be mindful of, sorry, to be mindful of in doing anti-racism work? Yeah, so eights, um, you know, they are social justice oriented. You know, we're getting into the gut triad here, um, the anger triad, all of them are justice oriented, eights, nines, and ones. So um, eights, can be guilty of black and white thinking, um, dualistic thinking, um, either or, both, there, there's only, you know, A or B, there's no C. And so they can, with that thinking, they can alienate people who aren't on their side. So if you're not for me, you're against me. And then they move forward and they um, will kind of just chop you out of their life or look at you like you're the foe and you are now evil. So considering where are the gray areas? Can things be on a spectrum? Looking at, you know, what could be, can we hold two opposing issues with a both and? My therapist literally has an, an ampersand and symbol in her room. And when I get caught in dualistic thinking, she just points to the and. And she's like, maybe both can be true. So anyway, um, eights can get stuck with thinking that there's only two sides. And there's only two ways, um, my way or the highway. And if you're not on my train, get off. Um, but what eights are good at is they see the world in power dynamics and they can challenge existing authorities, systems, and policies. And, you know, as opposed to like a two who really cares about what other people think, eights don't care as much about what other people think. Um, and that can be good or bad, you know, depending on the situation. But um, they're really able to bring logic and strength and um, to call out the bullshit um, and say, you know what? Nope, not dealing with this, not tolerating this. We need to change this. And I'm, I have the endurance and the perseverance to mm -hmm. really challenge and see it through and knock back down. Eight will, I mean, you can come up against an eight and man, they will debate you just for fun. They get energy out of challenging. Sure so, you know, you're fighting with an eight, they're getting energy from it, right? That is an area of strength. I hope the eights will use that for good um, and for the common good and the collective good because, you you know, that can be used for, for not good either. But I think that um, eights can use that full force energy to really shake things up in systems that are harmful. My God brother is an eight and growing up, I wish I would have known that because I would have stopped arguing with him <laughs> because I'm getting tired and annoyed as a seven. You know what I'm saying? And frustrated. And he's like getting excited, like, oh, this is good. I'm like, no, I hate doing this. Uh, but I didn't know, you know. And so this is some of the beauty of like for the strengths for eights to be able to. They have, like you said, the, literally the endurance to go with until the change happens and occurs. Like, it's absolutely amazing. 
like absolutely amazing the energy that they have. Um, I worked with a team that had a three and an eight and I was a seven. Oh my goodness. Oh, I didn't have to lead any. And I was totally okay with it. I mean, we were rolling because we were just doing stuff. We was moving, we was getting things down. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, awesome. Like the energy was just vibing uh, with them. I was like, I love this. Absolutely awesome. And uh, one thing I would say uh, as well with uh, for eights to be mindful of is that uh, to be mindful that everyone has a, a level of innocence to them. When they yeah. assume someone is guilty, it's like it's like you're guilty forever. You know what I'm saying? Um, helping them to see like past, the, like you said, black and white thinking, the dualistic thinking and say, OK, this person on the other side, like they have some form of innocence in the way that they are as a person. Even if they their morals and their ways are totally against or even if you want to say wrong, mm-hmm. if it's just true, they're just wrong. There's still a level of innocence of wherever they came from, whatever they grew up with, whatever they learned that got them to that point in the yeah. state that they're in. So being able to see them in that way to make sure you still see them as human and not making them objects and like some yeah. to go against. It's like I got to make you a human still, because guess what? If you are going to change the system or transform people you know, you don't want to alienate the very people that you have a, a wonderful opportunity to transform and change because you like you made yourself against them in the enemy instead of being like, yeah. no, we see things differently. And these things are better for these groups of people. And we're really trying to help. So mm-hmm. that is something to be mindful for um, mm-hmm. as well with the eighth. In my workplace, we had a discussion on what does the road to redemption look like mm. for a lot of people talking about, you know, I'm afraid to say something I'm afraid to to try something new. You know, I'm afraid to engage engage in in anti-racism work because I'm afraid I'll do something wrong and then I'll be cut off forever. And so, you know, we went through, we talked about um, different celebrities that have have been blacklisted or canceled. We talked about cancel culture and what does it look like to come back from that? Is there a way to come back from that? And then how do we as a community need to be open? when somebody is actually doing their work and, you know, changing and can we reconcile? What does that look like? You know? And so um, I think that that can be difficult for eights. Um, once you've, you've kind of, you've been betrayed, you've been angered, whatever, and you just chop them off. You're not open to seeing a change. You're not open to seeing maybe the new person because people are dynamic. <laughs> some people yep. don't change, but some people do. All right. So what about this nine? What are some things that nines need to be aware of as Mm -hmm. they are doing anti-racism work? We already talked about that narcotization, you know, just kind of the numbing out to when there's a problem. Um, Also being paralyzed by indecision. So there's a beautiful thing about nines is that they see at least two sides to everything. So, you know, you talk to a nine, they're like, what, what should I do? And they're like, okay, well, they come up with option A, and then there's option B, which looks equally as good as option A. And well, then there's also option C. And then there was option D and E. And, you know, if you're the type of person that needs an option F, that's fine too. (laughs) And so, you know, it's really difficult when they're trying to, nines are, it's hard for them to prioritize. And so they get stuck in, I, I genuinely don't know which one rank outranks the other in terms of decision making. Um, or prioritization. And so you can get stuck in your head, similar to sixes getting stuck in their head with anxiety or fours and their feelings, nines getting stuck in in action because they don't know what decision to make. And so nines, um, we talked, you know, the strength is really considering issues and seeing things from all the sides. Um, 
I would say nines pair yourself up with someone who is good at making decisions and they might be able to help you learn how to prioritize um, and how to decide make um, things. I will say too, getting in touch with some feelings you may have fallen asleep to might motivate you. Nines are usually afraid of their anger. Um, eights, their anger is outright. Nines fall asleep to their anger. It's like sure. they don't even know that they have it, right? I think anger is one thing in nines that actually can create action. Um, getting in touch with your body, going for a run, doing a workout, doing some yoga, you know, anything that gets you in touch with your body um, and gets you your body moving, that will also help get your brain moving and your heart moving um, and engaging with the world instead of just stuck in your head, um, being paralyzed by inaction. Um, one other thing that nines are good at is they are such great mediators, you know, really hearing all the sides and saying, okay, well, it sounds like this is valid, similar to not, uh, to how fives can, can see, um, can be neutral. Nines really make you feel heard and not judged by your side. They create this like circle of acceptance. Um, where every opinion is valid. valid. Um, so how can we come together as a team, channel some positive six space, um, instead of going to the paranoia side of six, go to the positive side, uh, the team-oriented side of six, and uh, create some consensus. Yeah. Get everyone on the same page. I think nines as leaders, when you, when you see a nine who's a really good leader, they are great at that, creating consensus, in their team. And I think that we need that type of leadership right now. Yeah. I think, um, oh my goodness. I think in the NBA, Adam Silva, the NBA commissioner, he may not be a nine, he might be a six, but I think he's a nine. The way this man has brought the community of the NBA mm. owners and everyone together for everything they keep doing. I mean, it's, it's kind of unbelievable to have a person over organization doing it that way, that well, that big in the public eye. And whenever yeah. he speaks, he's honest, you know, like if he don't know something, he don't know it, but he values everyone's opinion and everyone has a spot at the table. That's nine-esque qualities like they bring right. to uh, situations and which I think is absolutely amazing. Like you said, they have to be mindful of. And I think something to check in with, especially doing anti-racism work, their own inner work. It, they have to touch anger. Absolutely. There's, there's no way around it, to be honest. You know, they have to get more comfortable with acknowledging and identifying their actual anger and then being able to express it on a more consistent basis. Mm -hmm. If they truly want to do the inner work and the anti-racism work, you have to. There's, there's really, for the nine, there's no way around it. Um, I know nine sometimes are like, oh, you know, I had a, a nine client who wouldn't, who doesn't like the word anger. It's like when my eyes roll, I was like, sure, whatever word we can use to make sure we get there, you know? <laughs> so it, it's definitely, that is super important to be mindful of. It's just being able to get in contact with that because when they're, when I, when I see nines get in contact with their anger, then they're able to be like, oh, I don't like this situation. I don't like what they're doing. I'm going to take action. It's way easier for them when they get in touch with it. It's like, oh, they don't align with me what they did because a lot of times they'll forget and they'll just kind of sit in the spot and be like, well, you know, they didn't really mean it. No, 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 no. They were like, mm, I can't be a part of that if, you know, because that's a different thing too. It's also being a part of certain things. It's not even necessarily like going out and just making sure you stand in front of people. It's like disengaging with people in situations that may be hurtful or harmful to the people in the communities you want to protect and care for, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's also a part of it as well. So the, for nines, getting engaging with that anger, 
it's a must. I'm yeah. Sorry, and nines. I like how you said on a consistent basis too, because, you know, usually at first when nines start trying to find their anger, it can be pretty explosive yes. <laughs> and it scares them and everyone around them. And so, you know, anger management, I don't know, that's something I want to look into a little bit more is like how to help nines explore their anger in productive ways that are impactful in, in helpful ways. Um, for them in the communities around them. And and so then if they're engaging it in small, consistent ways, they're letting the steam out of the pot right. in small areas instead of all of a sudden exploding and just all at once. Yeah. And so then also practicing with that anger a little bit at a time helps you develop more control. It's like you have the force, you know, <laughs> and you need to wield the force. You, you need go. to use it as a sword. Get your lightsaber out and be a master of it instead of letting it master you. Good job clarifying that. That's that's beautiful. Love that. Let's move on to the one. I know they've been waiting for a while. Yeah. So, thanks for your patience, one. What are some areas that um, or area that ones need to be mindful of in doing this work? Yeah. So similar to how eights can get stuck in dualistic thinking, ones can get stuck in dualistic thinking too. However, theirs is more of a moral compass. Uh, motivated. So really um, labeling things as good or bad, right or wrong. Instead of a for us or against us mentality that the eights have, ones bring almost everything into a moral viewpoint, um, a moral worldview. And it's so interesting because you can have ones who are religious or not, but they still have a moral compass. And it's yep. going to be different from everyone else's, every other one's moral compass. So it's Enneagram work is really helpful for ones because it helps you see that, wow, there are a lot of lenses in the world. Um, and there's more than one way to approach things. And sometimes people aren't right or wrong. They're just different. Having some, some patience and some empathy and some space for people's moral compasses to look a little different from yours. But you can see areas for reform. Um, you can see a better world. Similar to how sevens can see the idealistic view of the world. Mm-hmm. Ones can also see that too. And one's anger comes from living in a world that is not perfect and being in a human body that is not perfect. And every time you you try to attain perfection, something gets in the way and it, it's just this anger. And so if eights are outright with their anger, nines fall asleep to their anger, ones repress their anger um, because it's not a quote, good emotion it usually doesn't fit in their worldview but it's not like they are um repressing it to where like nines fall asleep so they just kind of forget about it ones it's like on the back burner it's like the in- it's like installing in the back of their brain like a computer you know it's just still mm-hmm. there and so it kind of just leaks out as resentment and so instead of engaging with your anger passively and just being resentful and guilt trip trying to guilt trip people into action no like use use your passion use your vision and um challenge in respectful ways and say no actually this could be better and this is a system that is harmful this is an organization that is not living up to its potential right and and we're going to reform and we're going to come up with a logical practical plan that can move things forward yeah, I love that. I would add to the strengths part, just their ability. And, I, and I've seen ones do this um, working on the higher level, their ability to not only like be able to reform and to take action, but to be detailed in the way that they approach it. And because I struggle with details as a seven, naturally, <laughs> to see the way that they're able to detail and put things together to like accomplish a purpose 
is an area where I'm like, this is amazing that you that this comes so naturally. Like you're just doing it all fast. My brain is still trying to figure out like how to put it all together. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I absolutely love that uh, about uh, the ones and the strength that they naturally have. To, and they may not even know it. It's just a part of what they do, but like it's a strength because I struggle, struggle on details to organize certain things. I really do. So it's a huge strength of um, ones that I definitely wanted to mention in the uh, anti-racism work uh, and their own personal inner work at times too. Yeah. And, and ones really, um, I think they really do care about people and also depending on their subtype, where your inner critic shows up, whether that's fully um, internalized or externalized onto other people, but ones really have just this beautiful way of taking care of people and they are driven by doing what is right. And so they are externally focused in a way where, you know, they really, they shoulder, I mean, they shoulder a lot of responsibility and it's not always their responsibility. Um, True. Note ones, it's not all your responsibility, but, you know, I kind of think ones kind of come into the room and they take an information with their gut and they see all of the responsibility and they assume that it's theirs. Um, so ones you can acknowledge what needs to be done um, and then you can help delegate and get the community involved and say, okay, you know, this isn't all mine to do, but I can make people aware that this is what needs to be done and help delegate what the work is so that the community can be involved in that. Yeah. And it, you just reminded me of something of one. Um, uh, I heard this from a one who's doing the work, uh, anti-racism work and their own inner work. And she was mentioning coming, making sure that she is integrated with her heart when she's doing this work. Mm. We mentioned this earlier with re reaction formation of doing the right things, but not necessarily doing it integrated from the heart space yeah. because the heart space allows a lot of the work that they do to not only not pick up everybody's responsibility, but to actually be able to do things that come from a loving, unconditional space. Yeah. And that really changes a lot of the ways that they do things and the way that they like really help situations uh, and help people. So I think that's important too, just to be mindful of is make sure that the work that you're doing, because your heart and you know your head's rolling too, make sure you activate your heart into some of those decisions and actions that you're making. So let's look at um, moving towards being productive in the outer work. And so there is like a little bit of a, a framework or a way that we need to approach this that I know that, you know, we have discussed and I want you to really break this down uh, for the listeners. So uh, let's talk about this, the how to do true productive outer work uh, so that we can actually move past our defense mechanisms because mm -hmm. those are the things that are slowing us down, the holding mm -hmm. us back and creating shame, which we'll go into on another episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're doing all these things. So how do we um, actually move past our defense mechanism into doing the out of work. What is the first thing that we can do? Right. So in order to engage in productive outer work, we have to have courage to move past our defense mechanism. So a lot of the, these realizations have come from reading about Brene Brown's thoughts on courage. So first of all, we need a healthy platform of self-worth. So our ego, you know, you've heard us mention the ego. Our ego is kind of like a, you know, a coat or a, a a coat of armor that we wear that helps us get our needs met in the world, 
Um, it helps protect us from attacks against our identity. Um, our ego is not all of who we are. It's a piece of our makeup, but it's not our essence. Um, it's not our soul. Um, our ego is there to protect us. Um, and so in order to engage in productive discussion about problematic behavior, we have to separate our identity from our behavior. If we realize, and I personally believe, that we, every human is worthy of love, belonging, and connection, regardless of what we do, then our self-worth and our identity are not at stake when we're being held accountable for harmful actions. So if I can look at myself as a human and say, I, because I'm human and I exist, I am worthy of love and connection and belonging, regardless of what I do. And that, you know, you can add your own spirituality on top of that. You don't have to be a spiritual person to, to um, have that worldview of that humans are all worthy of love. Um, that can be kind of a hard, a hard worldview to take on um, if that's not personally yours. But according to Brene's research, she says, you know, we're all worthy of love, belonging. So our ego comes out when our identity is at stake. And if we're getting our self-worth from a finite source, so as a two, if I'm getting my, my self-worth from how much I help people or how much good I do in the world, if I'm a one or um, how much success I'm doing, Get bringing as a three or, you know, if we're getting our self-worth from things, then the minute we stop being able to do that, like I have a chronic illness, there are days where I cannot get out of bed and I cannot help anybody. So does that mean that I'm therefore worthless? I mean, there are some, there are some uh, schools of thought that would say, yeah, um, but that's not my personal school of thought. So if I'm still valuable as a human because I exist, regardless of my usefulness or productiveness, or success, um, then my self-worth is not at stake when I do something that doesn't align with my values. Mm -hmm. So I can do something that's harmful. It doesn't automatically mean that I am a bad person. It means that I did something bad. And that's the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. And so when someone holds me accountable and says, hey, Elizabeth, you did this thing, I can, my ego can relax and say, you know, my self-worth is still fully intact regardless of the harmful thing that I did. And then I can be held accountable for the thing that I did um, and still know that I am loved and worthy of love. That was beautiful. I don't think I would add because there's nothing much to add to that. That I, like, I think our society is built on um, especially our justice system to a certain degree is built on dualistic thinking, which causes such an issue because we try, even we're not ones, we try to be good or bad, or we label people good and bad mm -hmm. when we're all dynamic and mm -hmm. we all have done different things that range on the side of good or bad. And so kind of like helping ourselves to think our way out of like dualistically thinking about situations and people um, would really help in this issue as well, especially even with ourselves. Like, the self-worth part is so important. I was working with a three and I asked him, I say, I said, what, uh, what makes you valuable? And he gave me a few answers. There were all these peripheral surface type of answers. Mm -hmm. And I kept asking and he was like, I, I don't know past that. I said, you were born. Mm. And he was, he was perplexed. And he was like, there's that. I mean, that's like, I could see his defense going up. He was like, what? That was, and I was like, 
that's what makes you valuable right there. Like you don't need all those other things to be valuable. So that self-worth piece, super important. So I think a good question for our listeners, um, what makes you valuable or where do you find your self-worth? And don't just ask it one time, <laughs> ask it multiple times. Either you can do it with a partner or yourself or write it down. Why are you valuable? And or like, where do you get your self-worth? And just keep going because you have to go deep under the layers. There are some really surface layers we have, but then it's like, mm. so you have to really get uh, below that and develop some of your self-worth. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, what, what's what's the next thing that people need to do to have productive outer work and move past and they really have the courage to move past our defense mechanisms? Yeah. So before our defense mechanisms really show up, I think there's kind of this automatic process in our in ourselves, these, these internalized beliefs, these internalized wounds that have not healed that show up and shame takes advantage of those. So shame, Brene would say, is um, the voice that says, who do you think you are, or you're not enough, or you're too much? It's really around identity. It's Catherine Hurley and Theodore Dobson, my best self, using the Enneagram to free the soul. They do work on wounding messages for each type. What is the right. original wound for each type? So that's where I've gotten a lot of this, a lot of the, these concepts here. We have to look at what is our internalized wounding message that we heard as children or, or something we wanted to hear, but we never heard. Um, and we need to hear our healing message over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I think shame can infuse itself into those winning messages. Um, and so one thing that we'll go through in, in the next episode is, is talking about how, how does shame specifically customize your own personal shame whisper? I I like to call them shame whispers. I just envision this little like little being on your shoulder, just kind of whispering these things that sound like truth, but they're not, they're not truth. And so, you know, these little whispers that our ego then is going to respond to defensively um, because these are wounds that we have. Maybe somebody did something to us when we were kids, you know, but not necessarily. Um, There's a whole lot of, of research on um, attachment styles and object relation theories. And like, what you know, you could have nine babies in the, yep. and experience the same exact thing, but they would perceive it nine different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, really getting into where do these wounding messages come from? And then how do we heal those messages? What is the message we need to practice saying to ourselves over and over and over again, like a mantra? Um, sometimes I'll do it in a meditation session. Sometimes I'll let my friends know, hey, I need to hear this a lot. So please tell me. Um, so instead of using our confirmation biases to confirm our wounding message, let's be on the lookout for things and for people who call out the healing message in us. No, that, that's, that's so important. If lately the two words I've been using, um, is, um, humbleness and healing. Those are the two biggest things that have been super relevant in the work I'm doing now, what I'm learning, the training I'm doing, all these things. Um, but the healing portion is just so important. And then understanding, like getting to the actual wound that we have. The thing is, this world is traumatic. Like if you live in this on this planet, you've been through trauma, even if it's little T trauma. There's still trauma to like ourselves and like just the world just we live in. So actually um, noticing what is that wound 
because sometimes we don't know until you know something happens and like brings it forth you know like as a seven one thing i didn't know i felt like empty or incomplete or you know what i'm saying or I'm missing something like i didn't know i felt like that but then i look at my behavior and i'm like wow gluttonous behavior what are you trying to feel what what hole are you trying to feel in yourself with this behavior yeah. understanding these things are super important and we're definitely going to hit them oh my goodness uh we're just going to be really beautiful when we hit them uh coming up Hi, I'm super excited to tell you about a partnership I just joined in on. As an Enneagram coach, I understand the Enneagram helps in all different aspects of a person's life. A part of that journey can only be helped sometimes by someone outside of themselves, someone in the profession of counseling or therapy. So that's why I partnered with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is basically a virtual way to contact and be in connection with counselors and therapists around the country. And at this time that we're going through socially being distant and a lot of being trapped in our houses or different things, even though it can be wonderful, a lot of times we may need to express something that's going on or things may be arising inside that we don't understand how to deal with. And so BetterHelp is a wonderful, affordable way to receive therapy and counseling in your home virtually. So if you are struggling, BetterHelp can help. You'll receive 10% off your first month when you sign on using betterhelp.com forward slash do it. That's D-O-I-T. So this information will be in the show notes, but this is a way if you do need some help, mental help and working through things and emotional things, BetterHelp can definitely help. So what is the next, uh, what, what is the next very important thing that we need to be able to do to move through and have the courage to move through our uh, defense mechanisms? Yeah. So once we have an idea of our self-worth, that's the first thing. Then we've looked at and discovered our wounding and healing messages. The third thing would be to look at how does ego show up? What are our defense mechanisms? And we went into those really, really detailed earlier. So identify our ego's defense strategies. So when shame starts to whisper, our ego comes out to protect us, like we talked about. We all engage in multiple defense mechanisms. We talked about all the types, potentially favorite defense mechanism. It's a strategy. It's a strategy. Here here are ways to start observing in yourself Um, and observe without judgment because when we judge ourselves, we defend ourselves. And when we defend ourselves, ego comes out to play. (laughs) So we get to that little cycle. So you have to observe yourself kindly just to notice, oh, I'm, oh, this is happening. Okay, well, that's interesting. We'll write it down and we'll we'll keep going. So what does feeling defensive feel like in your body? You get like flush in your face. Do you, does your stomach tighten? Does your shoulders crunch? Like, like what, like for me, I think there's this like heat and like ball of something in the bottom of my throat. It's like, mm. like right there. And it just, it just feels like this beam of light is like going to come through, like just shoot through me. You know, so what is feeling, you know, sometimes these physical sensations can be clues that our ego is coming out to our defense. So you may tend to respond in like a fight, flight, or freeze or fawn um, strategy, depending on your stance. And we'll go into those more, um, depending on if you're feeling, thinking, or doing repressed. Um, These are natural defenses to the shame that we feel. But with mindfulness, self-compassion and practice, we can build our capacity to stay in uncomfortable situations. When I talk about uncomfortable situations, I'm not talking about unsafe situations. Um, In the White Fragility book, they talk about the difference between feeling uncomfortable versus being unsafe. You know, fight and flight and freeze, those 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 are, we need to get out of an unsafe situation 
for sure. I'm not saying stay <laughs> when, right. you know, a murderer is coming into your house. Like, no, absolutely. <laughs> get the heck out of Build there. Build your capacity. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but learning the difference between, you know, somebody um, saying something that makes you feel uncomfortable um, because they said, well, actually, I don't think your idea or I don't think this comment was helpful. You know, I think you said something that was racist. I think you're um, being complicit with white supremacy. This is this, you know, or, you know, something against capitalism or something against consumerism. You know, these are all, especially when it's um, beliefs that we've held through our lives and then someone challenges them, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because our beliefs, we tend to internalize as part of our identity. And so if we're challenging a belief or a system that we've been a part of and and we let that fall away, then who are we, right? And so that kind of goes back to self-worth and separating your identity from your behavior. I think I just encourage people like, like I, my ideas of religion and politics have drastically changed in the past 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. I am still me. I am a... I'm an evolved, expanded version of myself, but I'm still Elizabeth. And so I've been in a lot of uncomfortable situations where people have pushed some buttons and said, you know what? I don't think that that is a valid system of belief. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) you don't have to really wrestle with that one. You know, and so building my capacity to stay in uncomfortable situations and sit with those uncomfortable questions and do the research and you know, do the work, um, that would be different than, than being in an unsafe situation. So I just wanted to make that distinction, um, that building the capacity to stay in an uncomfortable situation is, is different than being unsafe. And I would definitely challenge you to, to think about what the difference is for you. Yeah. I, I want to add in something you said that was so important. Understanding the somatic feeling of what's happening in your body when your, your ego defense goes up is paramount to you actually being able to shift and change it. If you think that you can think your way out of these things, you've got to be kidding me. You have to start to notice what it's doing to your body because your body is way faster at taking in information, like a thousand times faster than your brain and taking in information. And your heart is like a hundred times faster than taking information. So the fact is like, you've got to know what's happening in your body. So I know for me, like I get this hyper action in my brain. But it's not a stimulation that's like when I'm in a good mode, I'm doing some good. It's more of a it's a hyper action to kind of like not deal with what really I'm dealing with. I want to deal with. And then even when I would say here for ego defense strategies for when, when you think of something like somebody says something in society that is changing or different than the way you are. What happens in your body? You know, like what happens immediately? You know what I'm saying? And then check in with yourself. Like when somebody says the pronoun they, you know, mm-hmm. what just happened in your body? Did something happen? You know, like mm-hmm. if, like just noticing what happens in your body and then becoming curious about it. Elizabeth said this a whole lot, you know, in these in this early in this episode, just being curious about like, whoa, that's some reactivity going on there, you know, and now I'm trying to attach it to my ego. I'm getting defensive. But why? Like, I let me I need to really be curious about why I'm getting defensive here and not a judgmental part of it. Like she said, you know, just being like, hmm. That's interesting. I need to explore that a little bit more. Cool. All right, Elizabeth. So so what is uh, the next thing that uh, people need to do to have the courage to move through the defense mechanisms? 
Yeah. So I would say shame resilience. And that's Mm. a term developed by Brene Brown. So there are four steps to shame resilience. Name it, talk about it, own your story, and tell your story. The reason she talks about this is because shame likes to live in the darkness and in secret. When we put a spotlight on shame, we then meet it with empathy. And empathy actually creates a vacuum for shame. So shame can't live in the light. Shame. There's, um, if you read The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson, he's a doctor, an MD, and he talks about the, where shame originates in the brain and how it is disintegrating. The nature of shame is literally disintegrating within yourself. It causes you to want to move away from your own self and move away and turn away from people, from God, from you know just anything. It's just this constant cycle of disintegration. What empathy is, is turning towards. And so that's the antidote to shame is turning towards yourself to others, to God, whatever um, is you're feeling the the tendency to move away from empathy is going to be that antidote. So when we talk about the really horrible, shameful feeling that we're feeling, the thing that we did that we feel so ashamed about, you know, when we find someone who has earned our trust, um, who is who is that person for us, we can name it. We can talk about it. We bring it to the light. And what happens is you probably find out that you're not alone, that someone else has struggled with that same action or feeling um, or belief system. And and that creates empathy. That creates connection that says, you know what? I see your humanity. You're human and you're still loved. And shame can't exist in that. And so that actually makes it easier for us to talk about the thing Um, And that means it has less power over us. And so we're talking, especially for the numbers who don't like to be controlled, (laughs) doing Enneagram work actually gives you more autonomy because you are no longer letting your ego control you and you're no longer letting shame control you. You are having, you're you're wielding your own force. (laughs) You're letting it, you're being the master of it as opposed to letting it master you. So that's what we talk about shame resilience. And we'll go into that a little bit more of what that looks like. Um, later, but um, being able to, instead of avoiding shame, we don't want to avoid shame um, because that will keep it in the darkness, but we want to move through shame and developing the capacity to move through that is a process. It is a skill. And Brene says that skills are learnable, teachable, and measurable. So that is something you can learn and practice and get better at, which is encouraging because it means it's not like you were born with it or you weren't too bad, you know? Yep. Um, so we'll talk more about shame resilience and what that looks like. Yeah. I think it's so, so important. You, you mentioned how it lives in the darkness, like uh, it's shadowy, you know? And I, I say, especially for assertive types, um, especially for sevens and eights in certain types because, and fives or two, even different types who, may not have, because of the way that they live their lives, may not have felt the emotion of shame. So I felt it a few times in my life. And to me, it feels like I'm suffocating in my chest. It's a horrible feeling. I don't feel it often because it is a shadow side of things. It is, it lives in the dark. And so there is shame in everything, like not everything, but a bunch of like the different parts of our Enneagram types that like in order for us to really move through, we have to move through and like you said, reveal those things to actually create empathy, not just for other people, for ourselves too. Like there's this combination of actually being able to do both. So I love that you mentioned that how it lives in the darkness because the feeling, like if you've ever felt shame, 
Like it is not a good feeling. Oh my goodness. But like you said, moving through it, having resilience, learning the skill of doing it, it's what's crucial for us to move through like our defense mechanisms to really get to really doing like real inner work and outer work. Yeah. And like you said, like not, I think um, our concept of shame as a society, like Brene even says, like people don't like the word shame. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them defensive. They don't want to talk about it. It shows up differently for all the different types. And so when we go into that later, um, I think it will be, a, it'll provide more clarity on how that might show up for you of what that voice is saying. And then we can talk about, you know, how that shows up somatically. Yeah, it shows up somatically differently too for people. And we have defense mechanisms to avoid feeling our shame. So it's all, it's just a little cycle. Oh yeah. Last but not least, what is something that we need to do to have the courage to move um, through our defense mechanisms? Yeah. So what's helpful about shame resilience is that um, we've we've moved through the shameful feeling and now we can move from feeling shame to guilt. Now you might be thinking like, well, I don't want to feel guilt either. That sucks too. <laughs> yeah, it does. But um, so we've, I mentioned before, so shame is I am bad. It's around your identity. Guilt, however, is I did something bad. Shame focuses us inwards. Empathy focuses us outwards. Suzanne says all the time, Suzanne Stabile says, what you focus on determines what you miss. So if you're focused on your shame and your inwardness, you're not going to be seeing the the person that maybe you hurt. You're not going to be having empathy for their feelings. You're going to be focused on your own feelings. And so the antidote um, for shame is empathy. Empathy is also one of the foundations for justice. Because getting justice means that we have to empathize with and lament with the wound. We have to see what the hurt was done, the wrong that was done. You need empathy for that. So when the focus is off me, I can then move into true empathy with active listening and maybe a genuine apology. Brene has a really great two-part podcast um, episode about apologies, and that will rock your world. So if I can be held accountable for my behavior, then I can do something better next time. And, and so it's like, I can be curious about Milton. I'm so sorry that I said that and that hurt you. Um, tell me more about that. Right. And, and so now the focus is off me and me saying, but I didn't mean to, my intention was this, right. We're looking at intention versus impact. I'm now focused on the impact on the hurt that I did. And now I can, recognize the hurt. Now I can do something about it. The Austin Channing Brown episode with um, Unlocking Us, they were talking about how um, you're choosing to protect someone else over protecting your own ego. Um, they say to protect someone else is to invite pain, but it's an expansive pain, which builds intimacy and connection. And so I don't remember which one of them said that, but it was so good. I had to write it down. Um, but that, that whole conversation is excellent too. And I really think that's interesting because especially for like example sevens who in autopilot space really want to avoid pain, right? Nines who want to avoid conflict. Protecting someone else does invite pain, but it's not necessarily injury. Like, right. you know, when you go to the physical therapist and they're working on a muscle, like that's some pain, you know, but it's mm -hmm. not, they're not injuring you. They're actually working that muscle out so that you can be healed. 
So there's a difference between pain and injury. And there's this, sometimes you have to go through certain pains um, and that brings on the other side, there's intimacy and there's connection. And so if you're going to really truly reconcile with someone, if you're going to rebuild trust, if you're going to make up for what you've done, then you have to focus on something other than yourself and your own shameful or guilty feelings. Um, That's where empathy comes in. And guilt is helpful because it's focused on your behavior and not your identity. Like we've talked about, your identity is safe. Your behavior is being called into question. So now we can deal with your behavior and how it hurts someone else and focus on the other person's feelings and the ramifications of your actions and deal with the consequences of that and do better next time. And that creates lasting, sustainable change and actually makes a positive impact on the world. It is not a positive impact when you're stuck in your own shame cycle being like, oh, I'm such a bad person. Or, you know, um, I feel so bad. I'm so, I feel so bad. I'm such a terrible person. I'm so bad. Like, you know, and now you have to comfort me. Like, like, no, Elizabeth, you're not that bad of a person. You know, and now I'm making like you comfort me. No, like that is not appropriate. Not helpful. Right. So, um, being in community in true community really does mean that we choose to empathize with other people's pain um, and sitting with that, but that also creates a really great lasting connection. Good stuff. Oh my goodness. Good stuff. Oh my goodness. Elizabeth, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm.